0: Well, hello, my friends, and you know what? I've got some fantastic news. It's time for the Greenwich, a Town for All Seasons show podcast. to the 24th of June, 2022 episode of the Greenwich A Town for All Seasons show podcast. It's hosted by me, Jeffrey Bingham Mead, a direct descendant of the 17th century founders of the town of Greenwich, Connecticut, long known as the gateway to New England. As always, I'm so glad that you could join us for today's show. Now, Greenwich, Connecticut was founded on July 18, 1640, and it is considered one of America's most interesting and extraordinary communities. This weekly podcast show is dedicated to exploring the history of this wonderful community that is notable at, that, we, that we call home, some of us, for centuries. Whether your roads go back nearly 400 years, as mine do, and others, or even 400 seconds or somewhere in between, whether you are here to stay or just passing through, well, we welcome you with open arms, and we're very glad that you are here and a part of our history, so congratulations. The Greenwich in Town for All Seasons show podcast is made possible by Peter F Alexander, landscape architect of Site Design Associates, the Long Island Sound Institute, a project of Mr Alexander and Site Design Associates, the Ambassador Museum of the United States of America, Mr Kevin M J O'Connor of Jeffrey Matthews Wealth Management, and listeners like you everywhere. Coming up on today's show. In May 1902, a wedding in Hot Springs, Arkansas, would ripple throughout America, making its mark on the shores of Greenwich, Connecticut. Dr. Gilbert C. Greenway announced that his son, James, had been married to Miss Harriet Lauder of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Her uncle, the celebrated Andrew Carnegie, gave her as a wedding gift $1 million dollars. In 1904, Harriet used that generous gift to purchase 57 acres on Greenwich, Connecticut's Long Island shore. This great estate would become known as Kin Craig, and will be today's subject of palatial delights and history on today's show. As we count down to the upcoming 4th of July holiday, which will be coming next weekend, I'm going to share with you news of a special American flag recently donated to the collections of the greenwich historical society if you haven't read about it it is in the summer 2022 newsletter which is posted online in crimes and misdemeanors the segment of the show where we continue our observances of the 125 years of the founding of the greenwich police department i'll have some news of uh, of a criminal nature Um, Judge Frederick A. Hubbard was a prolific, gifted storyteller whose newspaper column, The Judge's Corner, was penned under the pseudonym Ezekiel Lemondale. On today's show, Judge Hubbard in 1932 illuminated his readers about the town dump and called it a remarkable place. He also talked about plumbers and the raising of the the, the Fennessy Hotel, and more in the year 1932. Uh, let's see, I will have more about the newly announced Discover Greenwich, Creating a Sense of Place program uh, by the Greenwich Historical Society. It celebrates the 90th year anniversary of that organization. You'll hear about news, exhibits, activities, and events. All this is, as we already know, here in Greenwich, Connecticut. And we have... Quite frankly seemingly more history than we know what to do with so my friends please don't go away stick around the best is yet to come stay tuned we'll be right back after these important messages support is made possible by site design associates is an award-winning landscape architecture studio Located in historic Greenwich, Connecticut And founded in 1979 By its principal Peter F. Alexander, landscape architect Committed to a unique Multidisciplinary approach To professional landscape design and development Site design associates Ambition is To foster a sense of excellence That is second to none From analysis to construction And maintenance With 35 years of experience Coupled with a sense of place Purpose and history. Now, Peter F. Alexander is a member of the American Society of Landscape Architects. He's a graduate of the Rhode Island School of Design and a member of the American Planning Association. My friends, Peter F. Alexander and Site Design Associates is the title sponsor of the Greenwich Town for All Seasons show podcast, and we are very grateful for the support that we receive. You can learn more at Sitedesignassociates.com. You can call Peter F. Alexander at 203-869-8632 Again, that's 203-869-8632 Or you can email him at petera at Associates.com. Well, thank you, Kevin M.J. O'Connor, Vice President of Jeffrey Matthews Wealth Management, knowledgeable in the complexities of the financial markets, with a passion for servicing clients and their financial needs. My friends, learn more at jeffreymatthews.com or call Kevin M.J. O'Connor at his Greenwich office, telephone 203-485-7595. Again, that's Kevin M.J. O'Connor, is Greenwich office at 203-485-7595. A special project of Site Design Associates and its principal landscape architect, Peter F. Alexander, the Greenwich, Connecticut-based Long Island Sound Institute consists of a community of professionals, researchers, academics, and concerned individuals progressively congruently working towards safeguarding Long Island Sound through research, historical perspective, and restoring ecological balance through management, policy, and education. The Long Island Sound Institute's aspiration is to promote modern planning and the implementation of the most up-to-date technologies available to conserve Long Island Sound for future generations. Long Island Sound Institute's studio is at two Greenwich Office Park West To contact the Institute, email L-I-S-I-H-I-2023 at gmail.com. That's L-I-S-I-H-I-2023 at gmail.com. Or call area code 203-869-8632. Again, that's 203-869-8632. There are many ways to serve our country. A select number of individuals are nominated to serve as U.S. ambassadors in countries around the world. Their diplomatic assignments are vital to the U.S. maintaining peaceful and working relationships with global governments. The Ambassador Museum, United States of America, is based in Greenwich, Connecticut. AM USA is in the process of organizing and implementing a virtual ambassador museum. This facility will be a tribute not just to the ambassadors, but also their families, experiences, and the millions of lives that have been affected by them. Its goal is to correct the stereotypical idea that large donors are the people who are selected as ambassadors of the United States, and the notion that some in the State Department make a career out of being an ambassador. To learn more about the Ambassador Museum, United States of America, go online to amusa.info. That's that's amusa.info, call 203-347-4604, or you can also write to P.O. Box 5002, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06831. My friends, let the word go forth from sea to shining sea that our countdown to American Independence Day is underway here on the Greenwich Town for All Seasons Show podcast, hosted by me, Jeffrey Bingham Mead. Now, uh, I wanted to start us off with a wonderful article that I found just published in the summer twenty twenty two edition of the Greenwich Historical Society's newsletter. Uh, You can, I believe you can see this at GreenwichHistory.org. Members, of course, get this in the mail. And uh, if you're not a member, then please, uh, by all means, join the Greenwich Historical Society. Um, This article is by Kelsey Dalton. She is the Assistant Curator for Interpretation and Collections of the Greenwich Historical Society. And the headline reads, An Old Glory Comes Home. And it goes as follows. We are lucky here at the Greenwich Historical Society to be the benefactors of the many local history lovers who entrust us with their artifacts. The extraordinary and the mundane, from a handwritten letter by Arthur Conan Doyle to an an Electrolux vacuum, are all treasured. And each donation comes to us with a story. Recently, the Historical Society acquired a new story, one that came to us in the shape of a hand-stitched six-foot-by-ten-foot American flag with 42 stars donated by the Duff family. The 42-star flag is a rarity. It only accurately reflected the number of states in the Union from November of 1889 to July of 1890. However, because flags only become official on July 4th, a tradition started in 1818, and Idaho was added to the Union on July 3rd, 1890, which was star number 43, the 42-star flag was never an official banner of the United States. Two cousins descended from John Duff discovered the rare flag folded up in a trunk and noted the words, quote, Miss Susan Lane, Coscob, written in the upper corner. You might recognize the name John Duff, the proprietor of Palmer and Duff Shipyard, which once built and repaired sailing vessels across the water from Bush Holly House. Duff was both a successful businessman and a popular Coscob resident. But how did his descendants end up with Susan Lane's flag? And who was Susan Lane? Census records show that Susan Lane was a long-time resident of Kascob, likely born at 34 Strickland Road in the Ephraim Lane House, her childhood home. Susan and two of her sisters, Kitty and Julia, were milliners, tradespeople who designed and produced ladies' hats. Millinery was a popular profession for women at that time and the three sisters lived together and supported themselves well into their 70s. One of them likely stitched the flag, which, according to an article found in the historic newspaper database, was then presented to Coscop School by Susan Lane during an Independence Day celebration in 1920. Further archival digging revealed that Annie Duff, a daughter of John Duff, worked at Kauskab School at the time, and it was probably through her that the flag passed into the family. The Duff cousins said it best when they brought their donation to the Historical Society, quote, This flag belongs here, unquote. Nearly a hundred years later, we are honored to welcome the flag back to Kauskab and happy to have been able to reconstruct its history. You're in for a pleasant surprise at Coffee for Good. Located in the 1856 Solomon Mead Italianate-styled stone mansion at 48 Maple Avenue behind the Second Congregational Church, Coffee for Good has quickly emerged as one of Greenwich, Connecticut's top coffee houses. Its success is driven by a never-ending commitment to quality and inclusion. Coffee for Good shines as a unique nonprofit partnership between the Second Congregational Church and Abelus. It employs and trains people with disabilities through a self-sustaining platform so they can thrive in the community. The 1856 Solomon Mead House provides a 19th-century-style hip and unpretentious historical setting that evokes a setting filled with diverse people who are all inspired. Delightful staff, super friendly baristas, great coffee, pastries, and more. Coffee for Good provides free Wi-Fi, free parking, indoor and outdoor seating with a relaxed local vibe that has become a popular study spot and destination for informal business meetings and gatherings. My friends, take it from me. The word about this gem has gotten around located in the historic 1856 Solomon Mead Italianate-styled stone mansion at 48 Maple Avenue in Greenwich, behind the Second Congregational Church, all part of the Putnam Hill Historic District and listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Coffee for Good is open daily, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., except Sundays. You can learn more at coffeeforgood.org. You know, one of my favorite things to do here in Greenwich, Connecticut, is to go for a boat ride. There is so much to see and do on Long Island Sound and in the various shoreline areas of the town of Greenwich, Connecticut. And the person who makes that possible for me these days is Peter F. Alexander. He is the Principal Landscape Architect of Site Design Associates um, and the Long Island Sound Institute, which is a project of of his company. And, um, he ha- has been very generous about offering me and taking me out on boat rides. Um, and, um, and I just want to let you know that if you meet Peter F. Alexander, uh, let me let you in on this. <laughs> when he calls you up or contacts you somehow by text, email, I don't know, whatever. Uh, and he offers you a boat ride. Just drop what you're doing. Don't argue. Everything's going to be fine. And just do it. It will be. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and uh, and and the reason why that I mention this is because we did this quite recently, uh, and uh, Peter took us out, um, him and uh, a group of uh, friends of his. We went out, and it was really just a wonderful time under beautiful sunny skies. Uh, the thing that is um, interesting is that there is a great estate, as we know them to be. Uh, located on the shores of uh, Greenwich, uh, near the mouth of the Mianus River and uh, Meats Point. Um, Known, I knew it, and I think many others did too, as the Greenway Estate. Uh, But it is known as Kincraig. It dates from uh, 1893. And um, I was so inspired by this wonderful, beautiful estate uh, that I thought that I would share it with you. Um, on the segment that we have on The Greatest States. Now, how has everything that I'm about to share with you been made possible? Well, the answer is the Junior League of Greenwich, Connecticut. They have played an impressive role in fostering various projects and services for the community. They were chartered in February 1959, and we owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to the Junior League of Greenwich for producing and publishing uh, a, pub- a a book called The Great Estates Greenwich, Connecticut 1880 to 1930. You can find this book in the Greenwich Library System. It is richly illustrated, um, and uh, you might be able to find it at the Greenwich Historical Society gift store, or maybe even your favorite online book vendor. Now, my very good friend, who is no longer with us, he uh, died and uh uh, and went over the rainbow, as we would say, and that would be the late town historian William E. Finch, Jr., referred to the greatest states period um, of our history as, quote-unquote, the Flowering of Greenwich. It was an age when the word Greenwich became synonymous with millionaire. And so I wanted to, um, to share with you uh, the uh, facts in history as uh, brought to us by the great women over at the Junior League of Greenwich in this wonderful book. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. I've got a great story to tell. And it goes like this. The Greenway Estate, known as Kin Craig, dates back to 1893, when John Hamilton Gourley, one of the original settlers of Belhaven, purchased the first parcel of land from Ephraim, Spencer, Thomas, and Amos Mead. Property was located on Long Island Sound at the mouth of the Mayanus River. Gourley, a native of New York City, was with the firm of Johnson & Higgins, insurance brokers and adjusters. Five years after he purchased his Meads Point property, he built the first and largest part of the mansion which remains today. However, his health began to deteriorate about about that time, and in 1900, he left the United States to travel abroad. When he returned, he announced to his four children that he had married his nurse in London. Hmm. because, quote, the marriage was said to be disliked by the children, unquote, the New York Times wrote, friends tried but failed to have the Greenwich Probate Court appoint a conservator to manage his financial affairs. In 1904, the, quote, eccentric millionaire, unquote, died in his early 50s, leaving no will, as if to prove his eccentricity, his obituary in the New York Times ends with the observation that, quote, Mr. Gourley's two cottages at Bell Haven have been closed for two years because the millionaire declared he was wealthy enough without renting them, unquote. His son and three daughters were subsequently given title to his property. The next year, Harriet Lauder Greenway, who lived from 1879 to 1959, entered the picture. Gourley's Hares sold her his 57 and a half acre property with its house. She added to it with further purchases of land in 1909, 1910, and 1921. And at its peak, the estate encompassed over 100 acres, including shoreline, both on the Sound and northeastward along the Mayanus River. The Greenways and their children enjoyed it thereafter for more than three quarters of a century. Harriet Greenway was a member of the Lauder family, well-known in Greenwich and Pittsburgh, where her father, George Lauder, had been co-founder with Andrew Carnegie of the Carnegie Steel Company, now U.S. Steel. Thus, she could afford to create such an estate, to make improvements and additions at will, and to maintain a lifestyle it made possible. Her husband, Dr. James Greenway, was a well-known physician who left the staff of New York Hospital in 1915, who found the Department of Health at Yale, where he remained until his retirement in 1935. Until that time, the family used the Mead's Point home only as a summer house, but as there was no longer any need to live in New Haven, it was winterized and became their year-round residence. In 1912, the Greenways added two wings to Gourley's original building, thereby creating the magnificent neo-French Renaissance mansion that remains today. Built of stone and clapboard with a slate roof, it is sophisticated and elegant, and though made of American materials, has the formality of a French manor house. The tree lined driveway leads past the stucco and gray clapboard gatehouse, which echoes the style of the main building. At the entrance of that great house, two massive round stone towers covered with ivy flank the front door and two projecting stone gargoyles with slender necks appear to peruse the visitor. A large paneled entry hall leads straight from the door through the center of the house and out to the true focus of the place, the magnificent panorama of water and sky seen from the porches. Facing Long Island Sound, this most spectacular side of the house overlooks formal gardens, sweeping lawns, and steps leading down to the beach. Seen from the water, the peaked slate roofs, the flared eaves, the charming dormer windows with pointed arches, and the many balconies are reminiscent of the grand French chateaux. There are 25 rooms in the house, 14 of them bedrooms, which required a staff of at least eight people to cook, launder, and do the housekeeping and otherwise serve the Greenway family. The first floor has a formal atmosphere with its wide staircase and carved banisters, large fireplaces, paneled dining room, and embossed ceilings. The serving kitchen is off the dining room, while the immense main kitchen is on a lower level. A dumbwaiter carried the food and dishes between floors. Behind the dining room in one of the wings added by the greenways, there was a squash court, Other main floor rooms include a large living room, a library with exceptionally fine paneling, an oval study, and a sizable solarium with a fountain. The second floor contains a master suite and six more bedrooms. The third has four family bedrooms and a wing with maids' rooms. The brightly papered bedrooms, many of which have fireplaces and sleeping porches, created an atmosphere of country living for that is what it was then. Some of the Greenway children remember playing games and hiding in the uppermost attic. attic. The trap door there leads to the rooftop, and from this spot they watched many 4th of July celebrations. This estate, as was true for many others in Greenwich during this period, was a working farm. Vegetables were grown for the entire family, and the orchards produced abundant fruit chickens pigs dogs and ponies abound it a pet pig belonging to one of the children was named gloria gump gump there are a number of outbuildings the most notable of which is the former stable now a garage built primarily of stone and forming a horseshoe shape around the courtyard a central clock tower crowns its entrance a gatehouse, two poultry sheds, a hay barn with a silo, a greenhouse a manure shed, and an octagonal stone beach house are also on the property. Kincraig was a spectacular setting for the greenways, many's interests and activities, and they enjoyed their life there immensely. Horseback riding through the many trails on the grounds was a popular pastime. Many hours were spent playing on the tennis court. Beautiful Beach was fine for picnics as no doubt were several of the small islands they owned offshore and family sailboats were moored in the sound. The children liked to give plays on the porches for the enjoyment of family members and these sometimes became quite elaborate productions. The Greenway's daughters even had her own little two bedroom playhouse in which she learned to cook. Summer's, Spent in such a green and sun-drenched spot have an almost storybook quality about them today. Gardening was one of Harriet Greenway's strong interests, and the magnificent beech trees, which she planted many years ago still graced the property. A superintendent of the grounds managed the greenhouse and directed as many as six full-time gardeners. The lovely gardens were the setting for family weddings and many parties. Time, however, does not stand still, and with its passage, the estate has not remained intact. Harry Greenway gave land first to their daughter Anna, then to the Indian Field School. Property was lost to the railroad and to the Connecticut Turnpike. When Mrs. Greenway died, she left the rest of the property to their three sons and daughter. Dr. Greenway continued to live in the house with their son, Lauder, a patron a patron of the art, who has made his name almost synonymous with culture. Perhaps Lauder Greenway's most abiding interest was the Metropolitan Opera, which he served in various capacities for almost 40 years. His mother had filled the stately house with noted opera singers, such as Madame Emma Emmas, Martinelli, and De Luca. He, in turn, invited great operatic performers there to dine, but not to perform. Quote, I want them to get the fresh air of the country in their lungs, unquote, the nutmaker has quoted him as saying. Dr. Greenway died in, in 1976, six months before his 100th birthday. Lauder died in, in 1981 at Kingrade, where he was born in 1904. The house with its remaining 50 acres was sold two years later for 7 Point five million dollars. The Greenway family will be remembered in Greenwich for their generosity in giving Island Beach, Little Captain's Island, to the town and for donating its first ferry boat as well. The Minutes of the Town Meeting of October 24, 1918 report that Island Beach is quote, to be held by the town of Greenwich in perpetuity as a recreational park and bathing beach for the use and benefit of the citizens of Greenwich. Support is made possible by... Site Design Associates is an award-winning landscape architecture studio located in historic Greenwich, Connecticut and founded in 1979 by its principal, Peter F. Alexander Landscape Architect. Committed to a unique multidisciplinary approach to professional landscape design and development, Site Design Associates' ambition is... To foster a sense of excellence that is second to none from analysis to construction and maintenance with 35 years of experience, coupled with a sense of place purpose and history. Now, Peter F. Alexander is a member of the American Society of Landscape Architects. He's a graduate of the Rhode Island School of Design and a member of the American Planning Association. My friends, Peter F. Alexander and Site Design Associates is the title sponsor of the Greenwich Town for All Seasons show podcast, and we are very grateful for the support that we receive you can learn more at Sitedesignassociates.com. you can call Peter F. Alexander at 203-869-8632 again that's 203-869-8632 or you can email him at Peter A. at Sitedesignassociates.com. Well, thank you, Kevin M.J. O'Connor, Vice President of Jeffrey Matthews Wealth Management, knowledgeable in the complexities of the financial markets with a passion for servicing clients and their financial needs. My friends, learn more at jeffreymatthews.com or call Kevin M.J. O'Connor at his Greenwich office, telephone 203-485-7595. Again, that's Kevin M.J. O'Connor, Greenwich office at 203-485-7595. A special project of Site Design Associates and its principal landscape architect, Peter F. Alexander, the Greenwich, Connecticut-based Long Island Sound Institute consists of a community of professionals, researchers, academics, and concerned individuals progressively congruently working towards safeguarding Long Island Sound through research, historical perspective, and restoring ecological balance through management, policy, and education. The Long Island Sound Institute's aspiration is to promote modern planning and the implementation of the most up-to-date technologies available to conserve Long Island Sound for future generations. Long Island Sound Institute's studio is at two Greenwich Office Park West to contact the Institute, email lisihi i two zero two three 0 2 3 at gmail.com. That's lisihi i two zero two three 0 2 3 at gmail.com. Or call area code 203-869-8632. Again, that's 203-869-8632. U.S. ambassadors in countries around the world. Their diplomatic assignments are vital to the U.S. maintaining peaceful and working relationships with global governments. The Ambassador Museum, United States of America, is based in Greenwich, Connecticut. AMUSA is in the process of organizing and implementing a virtual Ambassador Museum. This facility will be a tribute not just to the ambassadors, but also their families, experiences, and the millions of lives that have been affected by them. Its goal is to correct the stereotypical idea that large donors are the people who are selected as ambassadors of the United States and the notion that some in the State Department make a career out of being an ambassador. To learn more about the Ambassador Museum, United States of America, go online to amusa.info. That's a uh, that's amusa.info. Call 203 347 seven four46. or you can also write to P.O. Box 5002, Greenwich, Connecticut, 06831. The Tavern Garden Markets at the Greenwich Historical Society are back, featuring a specially curated and alternating selection of locally grown and sourced products. Support local growers, producers, and artisans when you fill your basket and your home with the bounties of nature and unique handcrafted goods. Enjoy farm-to-table organic produce, fresh eggs, plants, and flowers. Savor the flavor of nutritious, prepared foods, fresh-baked breads, Fruit pies and donuts find the perfect gift among an array of vintage silver, jewelry, stationery, ceramics, and accessories. The Tavern Garden markets of the Greenwich Historical Society are held on alternating Wednesdays in the lobby and Tavern Garden from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Now let me let you in on a secret. Early birds are welcome at 9.30, but you didn't hear that from me. All right. Well, <laughs> um, the Tavern uh, Garden Markets uh, for the month of June are June 15th and June 29th. Those are both Wednesdays. Um, the Tavern Garden Markets are sponsored by Yashmin Lloyds and Compass. Well, my friends, it is that time in the Greenwich Town for All Season Show podcast. Once again, it is that time for us to hear from the prolific, the gifted, the wonderful storyteller that we have from Greenwich history by the name of Judge Frederick Augustus Hubbard. We all know how prolific, prolific he was, that he was a lawyer, that he was a writer, that he had a remarkable life, one that spanned the end of the 19th century and the first third of the 20th century. Writing under the pseudonym Ezekiel Lemondale, he wrote about the History of Greenwich, uh, which he labeled Cracker Barrel Stuff. I don't know where that uh, that term comes from, by the way. People have been asking me, and uh, who knows. Anyway, The Judges' Corner was the name of his uh, column. It was published for years, and they we're very indebted to Frank Nicholson. He collected Judge Hubbard's news articles, publishing them in compendium form as Greenwich History. The Judges' Corner, 150 vintage newspaper columns by Frederick A. Hubbard, selected, edited, and indexed by Frank Nicholson. The column that I have uh, today is column number 136, May 5, or May fifth, 1932. It's an interesting one. It's titled, The Town Dump, A Place of Considerable Interest, Plumbers, Recollections Caused by the Raising of the Fantasy House, Where Once the Lewis House Stood. And it goes as follows. The town dump is not a recreation ground. (laughs) People visit it from necessity, and yet it is a place of considerable interest. It is said to be on Hamilton Avenue, but it lies many rods south of that street. There is nothing annoying about the place except the acrid smoke from several bonfires. Originally, it was a gulch 30 feet deep. The filling in came from both sides. Tin cans and broken glassware are prominent objects. Loaded trucks and private automobiles are constantly arriving. The man in charge directs the disposal of the loads. If it is inflammable material, it is added to the constantly burning bonfires. If it carries with it an unpleasant odor, it is immediately covered with ashes. There is always someone on the watch for what to them may be of value. What may be used as firewood is often carried away before being consigned to the dump fires, parts of machinery containing bolts and nuts are seized and salvaged. And so, with this miscellaneous assortment of jet-sam and, the, well, the gulch is disappearing. In two years, there will be no room left, and the owner of the land will have a tract which will require no further grading. At first, he charged the town $200 a year for the privilege of disposal. At that time, it is possible that he had an idea of selling it to the town for an incinerator. And when that was not accomplished, he marked the rent up to $2,500, and the town had to comply. Very few people are lucky enough to buy a lot with perpendicular sides and be paid for the privilege of grading it. The residents of Hamilton Avenue are generally opposed to an incinerator on this spot. They have never taken the pains to compare the harmless incinerator at White Plains with the present dump and its consuming fires and smoke. Plumbers are subject to criticism, sometimes because they appear on a job and immediately quit for a prolonged stay while they go back to the shop for tools and use of which they had not anticipated. But one plumber in town is growing in favor because his automobile truck and his shop are identical. He drives to his work with every conceivable tool and material that is required on any repair job. And he announces this fact in plainly written or printed words along the sides and ends of his movable shop. It is an innovation and it inspires confidence. Tearing down the fantasy house on East Putnam Avenue, 68 Washington Avenue, brings an uncomfortable thrill to all those who have known Greenwich in its primitive rural days, and those whose personal recollection goes back a half a century, and those study of history takes them back to colonial days, are wondering what will happen to this slightly hilltop. This was the location of the Hobby Tavern. Its owner, Captain John, was active in town affairs in the seventeenth century. some have claimed that General Putnam made it his made it his only headquarters and On this subject, the Meade family has always been divided. It is probably the only matter of importance upon which they have not been Not been agreed, but important and reliable members of the family appear on both sides of a controversy that will never terminate. The subject is fully discussed in the third chapter of History of Masonry in Greenwich, quote-unquote. Although there are so near to New York City that the Empire Building, with two or three other skyscrapers, are visible to the naked eye from Captain's Island, it was considered very remote 130 years ago. And yet at that time, we have the first instance of a New York lady of wealth seeking a summer home in Greenwich. There are few traditions of the lady or her family, but we do know that she was related to the Reverend Dr. Isaac Lewis and had doubtless been an occasional visitor at the parsonage. The record discloses that Captain John Hobby sold 22 acres, including the tavern, on the hilltop for two thousand eight hundred and forty two dollars and seventy five cents to Miss Hannah Courtney of New York City. That was in the spring of eighteen oh two. On the thirteenth day of May, she took possession of the handsome Miss Building site in Horseneck. It is apparent that the Kenny old captain sized up his purchaser as a wealth of well, a lady of wealth. And indeed it is probable that he advertised the old tavern in the, quote-unquote, four sale columns of the New York Mercury, and in his deed to, but notwithstanding the beauty of the location, with an unobstructed view of the sound far to the east and west, it was a rather slim little village. The meeting house stood on the hill, and a few farmhouses were scattered around or about with all our commercial interests and town clerk's office at Mianus or Cuscob. She stood its remoteness for only five years. The means of of non-transportation to New York City were by sloop or stagecoach, and the wonder is that she didn't quit sooner. The Reverend Dr. Isaac Lewis had a son, a wealthy lawyer of New York City by the name of BLN, who was a cousin of Miss Courtney. Perhaps it was he who engineered the sale originally. He certainly had a mind in its disposal, for he bought it himself on November 11, 1807. It was that winter that the old lean-to tavern or mansion house, as, Doctor, as Captain Hobby termed it, was torn down. And in its place, Mr. Lewis built a real mansion, and for many years, the one and only in town. It had wide rooms with high ceilings and with a memory of with a memory of many of our readers. A wide piazza in the rear overlooked the sound, and the front piazza was shaded by a great maple tree that once shaded the tavern and still stands today in the of the dismantled fantasy house. This was the home for more than 20 years of Henry M. Benedict, the president of the Gold Exchange Bank, and later on, the Dr. William G. Peck, of West Point and Columbia College. The beautiful fantasy house, filled with the choicest uh, antiques, took the, the place of the old Lewis house less than 30 years ago. In those faraway days, the village has changed. Only the great trees remain to remind us of those rural times from Greenwich to the... Was remote, I'm sorry. Only the great trees remain to remind us of those rural times when Greenwich was remote from New York and was well nigh undiscovered. That was signed by Frederick A. Hubbard. Well, it's time for crimes and misdemeanors, and I decided to go back in time to actually almost exactly 100 years ago. Um, And this is an article that was uh, published in the uh, Greenwich News and Graphic. Um, And a lot of statewide statistics here. This isn't specific to uh, Greenwich per se, but I thought that... um, You know, we are in a a period of time where statistics play a very, very major role in our um, histories and in our news. And so I thought maybe I would just share this with you. Anyway, um, it's about automobiles and it's about stolen, destroyed and burned and whatever automobiles. And the headlines is as follows. It says autos lost. And I think this is statewide. One million seven hundred thousand dollars. Machines stolen. Three hundred and seventy worth $500,000, Five hundred thousand dollars, eight hundred were burned. So the story goes as follows: Automobiles having an aggregate value of one million seven hundred thousand dollars, I think that's in total, were stolen, lost, quote unquote, or burned in Connecticut last year. That would be 1922, um, or excuse me, 1921, um, according to figures compiled by the Automobile Underwriters Detective Bureau. Of these, 370 were stolen outright, involving losses of slightly over half a million dollars, while over 800 were burned at an aggregate loss of $1,120,000, and 50 were disposed of in other ways, making the total of 1,220 reported in all classifications." probably 90% of the burned cars were deliberately destroyed in fraudulent efforts to obtain approximately $1 million in insurance, the number burned being all out of proportion to the comparative risk. Between 65 and 70% of the stolen cars were recovered. The state police alone recovered over 100, having an aggregate value of about $150,000. Local police recovered several in their respective localities, and the Underwriters Bureau ran down many more. The average value of the stolen and burned cars was about $1,400, and it has been figured that it will cost an average of $150 each to prepare recovered machines. New Haven led the state in motor vehicle thefts for 1921. Nearly 100 machines estimated to have a value of $135,000, disappearing there in that manner. Several other cars that vanished from New Haven were subsequently found to have been in a quarry in North Brantford, according to a representative of the underwriters' detective agency. The fact that several of the important trunk Line highways, including the main lines from Boston to New York and New York to Providence, converge in New Haven. It was largely responsible, it is believed, for the high number of stolen cars reported from that city. Hartford came second with the number of stolen machines, Bridgeport 3rd, Waterbury 4th. Owing to the rapid decline in car values during 1921, The incentive to dishonest car owners who bought their machines at high prices to recover approximately what they paid in insurance led to much collision with the professional car losers and destroyers. A gigantic conspiracy in New York City to defraud insurance companies in that way was uncovered by the arrest by the Connecticut State Police of several ringleaders who revealed that they obtained the outlaw cars indirectly from the owners, who gave them free on entre- condition that they be disposed of in a manner permitting the owners to recover insurance. This conspiracy only in high-priced cars of low mileage, which accounts for the comparatively high average of value of stolen cars reported. Hmm. Notwithstanding Connecticut's position between large cities like New York, Boston, and Providence, the ratio of stolen or burned cars to the whole number registered in the state was considerably less than those in other states. In Georgia, for instance, a car was stolen in every 65 registered, while in Connecticut, one out of every 111 registered was lost by fire or theft according to the figures of the underwriters agency. Detectives are now on the trail of a former Hartford man who is alleged to have been a partner in a Boston agency which disposed of outlaw cars valued at approximately $750,000. One result of the pursuit of stolen cars in Connecticut was the arrest and conviction of Detective Sergeant Andrew J. Richardson of New Britain. How he, Howe was arrested by the state police together with others in New Britain and Bristol. These prosecutions led to several other arrests in various parts of the state, through which a, evidence was scoured and furnished to the New York and Philadelphia police, which has enabled the latter to progress rapidly in the prosecutions of members of the large automobile disposal conspiracy. My friends, the Greenwich Historical Society this year celebrates 90 years of service to the Greenwich community. Now, since its founding, the Greenwich Historical Society has represented Greenwich at its core, a town as firmly rooted in the nation's past as it is in shaping its future. Now, as an independent nonprofit organization, the Greenwich Historical Society receives no annual funding from the town of Greenwich or from the state of Connecticut. It relies on the financial support of more than a thousand annual members whose generosity funds its free and low cost programs in education, the art, historic preservation, and other community initiatives that connects our neighbors to the past and to each other now my friends uh, i I would love it if many of you, so many of you, would become a part of this generous community of members. And I'd like to ask you if you would please consider joining the Greenwich Historical Society. It is a fantastic organization. It is open to all. And I would love it if you would join the Greenwich Historical Society as a member. Now, your membership will help support the programs that have served the community for 90 years, and they include such things as stewardship of the National Historic Landmark Bush Holly House, its American Art and History Collections, Landscape and Gardens, its education programs for local students that are available for every child in the Greenwich School System, including students at Greenwich's Title I schools, which serve a higher proportion of low-income students. Award-winning exhibits on art and culture, including a fall 2022 exhibit on the Greenwich paintings of American Impressionist John Henry Twachman, and a spring exhibit on a history of Greenwich sports and athletics. Now, my friends, as a member, you will receive uh, or your discounted admission to uh, the Historical Society's upcoming Discover Greenwich event, which includes walking tours, art classes, expert lectures, and workshops that celebrate the best of Greenwich's rich history and illuminate the stories that have made Greenwich the town it is today. Now, of course, these programs are only possible with the financial support of the Greenwich Historical Society's members, and I would love it and appreciate it very much if you would please join the Greenwich Historical Society. Now, you can learn more by going online to greenwichhistory.org and if you have any questions, you can call the Greenwich Historical Society at 203-869-6899. All right, we are starting to um, draw down the, uh, the show today. Um, unfortunately, we're running a little bit short on time, but there were a couple of uh, quick things that I wanted to, to get in before we uh, sign off today. First of all, don't forget... Um, that Music on the Great Lawn at the Greenwich Historical Society is on Thursdays. The site opens at 5.30 p.m. The concert starts at 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. We have one coming up on June 30th. Um, and that is going to be Billy and the Showman uh, that is on the campus of the Greenwich Historical Society um, on Strickland Road. Um, this is presented by the First Bank of Greenwich and also Waterstone on High Ridge. You can learn more at GreenwichHistory.org. Um, members is $10. Non-members is $20. Um, if you become a member, you get special rates. So please bear that in mind. If you would like to have more information, also, please, you can call 203 869 Six eight, nine. nine. Um, I've already mentioned uh, uh, the tavern Garden markets. We have one of those coming up uh, on June 29th. Um, those are on alternating Wednesdays um, and um, let's see so we have one on the 29th that is in the lobby in the tavern Garden area uh, that starts at 10 a.m. to 2 p.m um, and uh, that is something that is sponsored by um, Yasmin Lloyds and also Compass. My friends, as we do uh, close off today's show, before I close off, obviously I have to, uh, to mention uh, this. T- the town of Greenwich just commemorated its first ever Juneteenth event um, with some very, very rousing words. Um, As reported by Leslie Yeager of Greenwich Free Press um, on June 18th of 2022, and it goes as follows. Friday's Juneteenth event at Town Hall was the first in Greenwich's history. The holiday only recently became official when Governor Ned Lamont signed the new legal state holiday into law. Greenwich First Selectman, Fred Camillo, who shared a proclamation declaring June 17, 2022, as Juneteenth Day in the town of Greenwich, said that the new holiday stood for the freedom that people fought for so long. As I quote, It is something that should be celebrated by every single American, regardless of their race, color, ethnicity, or religion, he said. Reverend Dr. Thomas Nins reflected um, on the historic moment, saying, quote, none of us living today can fully comprehend slavery or reconcile its effects of the human spirit because none of us here today have ever been slaves, unquote. He continued, quote, I understand the attempt of certain people to rewrite our history so that it is less than honest about the atrocities associated with it, he said. That is part of the reason Juneteenth is so relevant. It is a reminder, Nins said, "...Juneteenth is relevant because there is no legitimate way to portray slavery as anything but inhumane." Reverend Nins talked about the mythological narrative of the happy slave. "...even on the most lenient and benevolent plantation, those men, women, and children, were still in poverty." He said, and he continued, "...we can't understand that because we have never been property. Our children need to know that." Quote, what makes American slavery so insidious in part was the brilliant decision to legitimize those actions by dehumanizing the slaves and providing scriptural support to soften the blow of those with a moral or a Christian objection, Nins said. Now, uh, Reverend Nins also shared some inspiring words, uh, and I will close off uh, with this. They are very inspiring. And so follow along with me if you would, please. The word finally came that we didn't know yet. The world had changed, but we hadn't heard it. Freedom, for many an impossible dream, and when the words came, some didn't know what they mean. Some were not ready for this thing free. Slaves in the mind, chains on their dreams, living like property in the land of the free. When the light is too bright, we go back to darkness. Our movement is awkward because our eyes don't adjust yet. Nighttime has ended. The word finally comes, so we dance and march and gather in parks. And we honor the elders and laugh and we talk. We retell the story, how we finally got here. Raise hands to the heavens, and thanks to God that we made it. The word finally came, and some of us heard it. We tore off the chains, and when we removed them, we walked in that new light, in a new right to choose it. Freedom, we celebrate freedom. Freedom, we celebrate freedom. Freedom, we celebrate freedom. And those words, uh, very, very moving, were stated by Reverend Dr. Thomas L. Ninn's at the first uh, Greenwich's first ever Juneteenth event at Town Hall on June seventeenth, twenty twenty-two. Well, thank you for tuning in to the twenty-fourth of June, twenty twenty-two episode of the Greenwich a Town for All Seasons Show podcast, hosted by me, Jeffrey Bingham Mead, a direct descendant of the seventeenth-century founders of the town of Greenwich, Connecticut. Again, we were founded on on July 18th, 1640. Greenwich is one of America's most interesting and extraordinary communities. Um, and so the purpose of this show is to explore its history and its culture. You and your Greenwich stories are very much a part of our history, and we're glad to have you. Now, the Greenwich in Town for All Seasons show podcast is made possible by Peter F. Alexander, Landscape Architect of Site Design Associates, the Long Island Sound Institute, which is a project of Mr. Alexander and of Site Design Associates, the Ambassador Museum of the United States of America, Mr. Kevin M.J. O'Connor of Jeffrey Matthews Wealth Management, and listeners like you everywhere. Now, you can always contact me by email at Greenwich, a for all seasons, at gmail.com. By the way, that's in, it's it's one word: Greenwich, for all seasons, at gmail.com. You can learn more about the show and listen to past shows without going through a paywall by going to greenwichatownforallseasons.blogspot.com. But the show and I are on Facebook and Twitter. If you'd like to connect, just look for us there. Speaking of Facebook, I w- I'd like you to look for and then join any of a number of Greenwich, Connecticut groups. These groups include, quote, you know you're from Greenwich. If... Images of Greenwich, Connecticut, Greenwich Connections, the Byram Neighborhood Association, Friends of Byram Park and the Port Chester New York Historical Archive to our friends and, and neighbors in Port Chester, New York, and the list goes on and on and on. Now, our next show is scheduled for next Friday, the 1st of July, 2022. Now, on that show, I'm going to be sharing with you all sorts of historical delights um, and history about how the 4th of July Independence Day holiday was celebrated, and more, in Greenwich, Connecticut. So please be sure to uh, tune in. You can, you can also join Join my my email list, please do by contacting by email again at Greenwich, a town for all seasons, at gmail.com. Give me your name and your email address, and we'll take it from there. By the way, I don't give away email addresses to um, anyone. I do not sell names and email addresses, so your um, your name will and your email will stay very much in confidence. Now, my friends, please go out and enjoy your weekend ahead. There's a lot to go out there and explore, to see and do, um, and to celebrate. And don't forget, we'll be coming to you a week from today. Lots of exciting things. And by all means, please make sure that you uh, go out there and uh, enjoy the fireworks. They're really spectacular, um, and I'm looking forward to it. With that said, my friends, bye-bye now, and we'll see you next week.